Hey everyone, this is Stefan Miller, and welcome to The Forever Student. In previous episodes, we hosted two members of Dubai-based Illuminations, and today we are honored to host our third. Our guest today is a hypnotherapist and mind science specialist who is super passionate about mental health and well-being and helping people find their path to balance, happiness, and harmony. She specializes in a variety of different holistic approaches, and we'll talk about most of them today. Get ready for a fascinating talk about taking responsibility in your life, solving family problems, attracting wealth and abundance, and much, much more. Our guest today is Arpita Mitra Gupta. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. We're so excited to have you. And as you know, we've spoken to uh, two of your colleagues beforehand, and we had a great, great time. Um, before we really start deep diving, I first want to know what got you into the field of healing? When I look back, it's been a very, very interesting journey. So um, I graduated in economics. I did my MBA and then I worked in the corporate sector for almost close to 15 years. That's what I call my first innings. And it was pretty good. I did well. I enjoyed my work. And then when I thought I had checked most of the boxes that I thought I had for myself in this life, um, like you study, you find yourself a job, get married, have children, it's only at the fag end of that list. Life actually started to happen for me probably. And uh, I believe there were a couple of events around that time in my life when things started to move. One of them being, uh, I, I became a mother. I gave birth to my twins. And it was a life-changing experience for me. And though I thought I was completely prepared and I had my checklists in, in place, but in reality, when it happened, I felt very overwhelmed. And I struggled for almost a year to find my feedback and how to, you know, welcome these two bundles of joy. They were premature kids. They were health issues. In all in all, it was quite a struggling time. As I was trying to find my feet with my new identity, at the same time, I happened to lose a very dear colleague at work. Um, he was the kind of a person we would look up to and say the healthiest person we knew in our lives. And we lost him to cancer in about six or eight months. And that, again, had a huge impact on me. On one hand, I was looking and nurturing life and on one hand, I had lost somebody to death. I had so many questions, so many things that popped up in my mind, thinking, what is, what is this circle or cycle of life between life and death? Um, what is the purpose of life? It just can't be what I'm doing. It has to be more. And I stayed with that for a while. And then finally, I took the leap of faith. I said, I'm going to quit my job. And I gave myself one year to figure out what I want to do in life and how I can bring balance in. My intent at that point of time was to just have a very simple, balanced life. And then I did the typical uh, bucket list, eat, pray, love kind of a list for myself. And I did volunteering work. I started to paint. And one of the things I did when uh, at that time was to start to travel solo. And in one of those solo trips, I had gone to a yoga retreat and that was my first brush probably with spirituality, understanding how mind-body is connected. 
Of course, the retreat got over and I came back to Dubai and I still wanted to find out more. And, and coincidentally, before I, I landed in Dubai, in the airport, I still remember picking up Many Lives, Many Masters by Dr. Brian Weiss. I do not know why, but I just picked it up and I read it in like one day. And there was no looking back from there. I came back to Dubai and I started to research. Now, where can I find this stuff that I am now exposed to in Dubai? And I luckily came across Illuminations. I'm so grateful to Sonia for giving us this platform for us to reach out and explore this part of our lives. And I started to study. I just, this was mind-boggling for me. The, 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 the world of mind sciences and how we can be masters of our own lives. And yet we continue to struggle. I went in as a student and I started to study. And one thing led to the other. Um, I studied, I completed my course, I got my certification. I started to do seminars because at that point of time, I'm like, you know what, this knowledge has to be out and about and accessible to everybody, all age groups. And I, I used to wonder that if I had this when I was 15, how my life would have been today. If I knew this at 20, what are the decisions I would have taken very differently? And that's been the journey that unfolded. So from a student... I graduated, I became a therapist, and from a therapist, now I teach hypnotherapy. So it's been a journey which has unfolded on its own, very organically. I had never planned, but yes, I did set an intention for myself to find balance. And that's how I got into this field of healing and therapy. That's incredible. And you said that you wish that you kind of knew the knowledge that you have now. Yes. when you were 15 or when you were 20. Mm. How are you basically communicating that now to uh, the 15-year-olds that are looking for answers like this? Right, right. So, uh, you know, we believe that what you begin with, the intention, it comes to you. You, you are then in that zone. Mm. So uh, I have worked with children as young as two and a half to adults and which covers this, uh, even your teens, as I say, it is just the basics of how the mind works. And it begins with what is mind and how does it work? Why is it that we plan meticulously and we can't achieve what we want to achieve? So it depends with age, each age group. It's very, very different. Mm. But the premise remains the same. The understanding to access our subconscious, to work through our blocks, and then have that empowerment that, yes, I am. I'm the only person who can make it happen. So it's the same premise. But of course, how I would work with a three-year-old who has, say, anger issues or is angry in a play school will be very different when I'm talking to somebody who's 35, who's struggling with financial issues. But the premise remains the same. It's the basic understanding of what we are, how we are, and why we behave in a certain way and why we don't. Right. When it comes to teens specifically, I'm quite interested yes. in this. Do they come to you by themselves or is it usually something that's uh, through their parents? It's a mix of both. Um, to be very honest, I think now the world has completely opened up and opening up to the concept of well-being and mental health. This is not no longer a taboo. This is not that, oh, how can I go and see a hypnotherapist? Something must be wrong with me. Those days are gone and it's opening up more and more every day. So I've had uh, teens who would come in and, for example, they would want to work on um, decision-making and career counselling. 
So I'm going to graduate. I'm going to, I want, I, I'm not sure what I want to do. So how can you help me in doing that? Or it could be a re, an issue that is referred uh, by the parent. Um, maybe they have sought out help. They have gone to a psychiatrist and they would have said that this kind of a therapy would work. So it comes from all, all ends. But it is beautiful that there is no holding back. The, the world is opening up and there is no shame to come and say, hey, you know what, this is what I'm facing and how can we make this better? And again, it depends on the modality. It may not be only hypnotherapy or only metaphor therapy. There are many ways to, to deal with it and, and that the same thing goes for an adult. So there are different ways. Mind science is a huge field and it depends who resonates with what. Right. And what are the biggest issues that you see in uh, this space today, the mental well-being space? Well, um, we have to acknowledge that we are uh, in a time and age where uh, we are completely connected. This, we live in a world that has no boundaries. Uh, knowledge is freely available. This, we have cutting edge, edge technology in our day-to-day -day lives. And, and I would personally be very grateful for what we have. However, this also opens up this whole space of understanding what is real, what is virtual. So talking from my experience, there are a couple of areas that I see very often. One being um, a distorted self-image. So who am I? What am I? And how do I feel about being what I am? Uh, in olden days, it was much more structured. Now the world has opened up. And we often find ourselves looking at others and looking at their Instagram, looking at their profiles there. And we feel, wow, everybody has a wonderful life. There must be something wrong with me that I'm not enjoying that. But we forget that the, whatever we are posting or sharing to the world at large is only a part of our lives. So this distorted self-image brings in a lot of self-doubt. And then that starts to creep in every aspect of your life. So I'm not good enough. I cannot lose weight. So health is an issue. Or I, I, do, I don't feel worthy. I don't know I've got this promotion, but I don't know if I can handle it. So this, this is this whole line of work with what you think you are and how comfortable you are with it. The other thing is stress. We are in an urban setup where you know, people go out to work and stress comes in different forms. It's almost like running a race in which you don't know when to stop. It's like a shifting goalpost. And it is not easy. We have to earn money. We have to support our families. But at some point of time, your body and mind starts to give up. If you look at how cavemen survived, you know, at that point of time in those primitive times, there was a threat. There was a crisis. There is stress. That is when you are going out for hunting, for example. When you see the crisis, then there are two things you can do. You can either fight it or you run away. It's your typical fight-flight mechanism. When this starts to happen, what happens in our body? We have an autonomous nervous system. Our sympathetic nervous system kicks in. We pump in more blood. Adrenaline shoots up. More glucose in our blood. And we are able to either fight the crisis or run away from it. Once the crisis is over, your body now starts to relax. That's when the parasympathetic nervous system kicks in and you return slowly to normalcy. This is how the cycle should be. But if we now start to perceive everything as stress or as an obstacle at work, at home, with health, there is no way we are coming down to homeostasis. 
And then we say we have anxiety, we have panic attacks, there's depression, or we have eating disorders. You can name, the list will go on. That is what I see in, in the area of mental health and well-being, that this is a byproduct of the age we are, where we are in. Um, it's not to say that it's good or bad, but this is what we are, and we need the, those skills. We need that to be with children from a very young age to understand how do I cope with this, because this will just rise, and, and technology is good. How do we handle it? And so, because I want to deep dive into both of those points. Mm -hmm. The first one was more about being your true self or understanding who you really are. Mm -hmm. And because of the day and age we live in today, mm -hmm. it's becoming increasingly difficult for you to understand who you really are, considering there's so much to compare yourself with. Yes, yes. How do you go about finding your true self in that case? So first we have to see where are these influences coming from. This influences, these are all around us. It comes from our conditioning, which is, you know, the society we are brought up in, our parents, our extended families, schools, teachers, everywhere. It comes from the kind of education that we are exposed to or not exposed to. It comes from the economic background of the child where he or she is being raised. And it comes from our religious beliefs. In simple language, what we are saying is these are our belief systems. So when, and this is developed in the first eight years of a child's life, and then kind of it kind of stabilizes. So when these inputs are coming in, we need to figure out what have we picked up as children and what has been that belief system for me. So if I feel I'm not worthy, there's a way to get back and check if that belief system still works for me. Now, not all belief systems are bad and not everything has to be erased, but it, there comes a time when we need to check if that is still serving me purpose. If it is serving me purpose, it is authentic to me and that helps me build. But if it is not serving me purpose, that is when we look at options of rewiring, reprogramming that belief system into something, accessing those resources that will give me what I want to do in life. End of the day, that I'm comfortable with who I am. And it is more than other people's opinion. It's, it's being in that state of mind when there is complete acceptance of, of what we are. I think it's extremely difficult to be in a, in a place where you're so comfortable with yourself yes. that the opinions of those around you Absolutely. do not really affect you. My second question is to your second point about stress. Mm -hmm. Because what I feel is that we're continuously in the cycle as you're talking yes. about. Like yes. once we pass one piece of stress, then we're on to the next one, then we're on mm. to the next one. And I think that a lot of people then look at a holiday, for instance, yes. as an escape from that, mm. but then they come back to the same cycle. Absolutely. How would you recommend or what kind of advice would you give to our listeners that mm -hmm. something that they can do on a daily basis to become maybe a bit more mindful of the life that they're living and how to break that stress cycle? Mm -hmm. Well, I would say to have... Um First, understand what gives you happiness. So it's a very, a question that is pointed towards our own self. What is it that makes me happy? And you can watch children, for example. They will be in that state and they will do what makes them happy. So, for example, when I go home with a big box of cardboard with a big card inside it, and I'm thinking my child is going to love it, and he opens it up and he takes the car out and he keeps it on the side and he's focused on the cardboard. And he's cleared it up and he sits inside it and he's driving that as a car. 
and whatever money I spent on actually buying the car, and I'm wondering. So there's a mismatch in what we think gives us happiness and what we actually feel. And that can be accessed very easily. It just takes us a little bit of introspection to think what makes us truly happy. When was the last time I really felt like a child? Mm. And if we can answer that for ourselves, we know whether we are in alignment or we are not. Is that what play therapy is about? Um, no, not exactly. It's kind of related. So play therapy is a modality that we work with with children. So when you have a child coming in, so th this I'm saying young children, maybe from the age 18 months onwards to say seven, eight years old, they are being brought by the parent. They are not walking into your office saying that I need help. Right. So play therapy is a kind of work where we let children express what they're not able to express otherwise. For an adult, there are different ways to do it. You're in trance and you can do it through this modality or that. But for children, it is actually very simple. We do it through play. Because play is a natural state that the child is in. We use aids like uh, puppets, dolls, uh, colors, uh, sand, water, the elements, and let them just be. And they will now, re they will connect to you and show them what's happening in their environment. Children do not need that intervention that we need as adults. They are like sponges. They will soak in what is there in the environment and they'll show you. Now it's for us to take that in and then work around it. Mm. It also gives children this understanding of why, what is happening and what are these kind of life experiences and how do I deal with it better? So for a child who suffers from, say, separation anxiety, it is a big deal to go to play school. So there's crying and there is a lot of tantrum. Now, if we can help this child win in form of a story, for example, or with the dolls or the puppets that he plays with and set a story in his mind about the routine, how things would happen in the morning, how he would say bye and put in a trigger like an anchor. Like every time you kiss the palms of your uh, hand and you put it on your heart, you know that mama is there. And that is reinforced. But this is done in a very different environment. And it is up to us as adults to see what's happening in their world. It's not easy. It is, um, if you go down to the level of a child and you try to see the world, it's going to be very different. I learned it from my dog when I had my puppy and I'm like, why is he not eating from the bowl? So I went down, I went down to his level on the floor and I realized that the bowl was too big for him. It was like as if I'm giving him food in a well, he's going to drown in that. Now, I can't see that from my height. But the moment I go down to the height of my puppy and I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm sorry. I didn't realize this. Now, yes, this is a flat bowl and you can have it and puppy will eat. It's the same with children at that level through play. That is play therapy. Okay, clear. So I want to now go into families because you work sure. a lot with families. Yes. And... This is something that that I'm super interested in. So mm. my first question is, what are the biggest problems that you face with families? Like, what do they come in for specifically? Um, again, there are various issues that come in. See, what happens here is, um, it's families or otherwise. What somebody comes up with is, is a presenting issue. But there will always be layers beneath it. And the idea of this line of work is to go to the core issue. When we look at family, a family is a system. There are members that belong to it. And like every system, there are certain underlying rules. 
for example, in a family, everybody is supposed to be belonging together and equally, dead or alive, included into the family or excluded. That is how it is naturally meant to be. If, if this rule is broken, which means that we are not acknowledging somebody who was there in the family, who's no longer there, but that space is still there for that person, there are issues we start to see. These issues can be anything. They can be diseases. They can be mental health issues. There can be, this can be stress, anxiety. You can name it, relationship issues, anything. The other rule that is there, that in a family, there is something called a hierarchy. There are adults of the family and there are children in families. We are smaller than our parents and our parents are smaller than our grandparents and they are smaller than our ancestors. So there is a hierarchy that nature sets for us. We are equal to our partners and our children are smaller than us. Simple hierarchy, again, if out of any reason this hierarchy is broken and now what I'm talking about, this is subconsciously. This is not a conscious effort for anybody to do, but many a times, out of love and loyalty, we try to take over others' roles in the family. We try to compensate for who is missing in my system. And that is the way, as children of families, we bring in that missing element. And that's when the disbalance now starts to happen. And that can, the symptoms can be anything, but the core remains that somewhere this alignment, this balance has now been broken. What I'm describing to you is a line of work called Family Constellations. It is um, pioneered by uh, Bert Hellinger, a German psychotherapist. And it is based on phenomenology. It's, it's on observation. It's on uh, believing that there is a field that knows. There's a knowing field. And we are part of it. So anytime that role reversal happens or we take on more that doesn't belong to us, we see issues coming up in the family. This is one very easy way to look at what we face in families nowadays or forever for that matter. Uh, the other very interesting thing to note is uh, we are humans and we are not perfect, which means whenever you put two human beings together, there's some sort of dysfunctionality that will exist. Now, when you put dysfunctional humans together, that's when we have our families. So there is an underlying element of dysfunctionality in every family. A completely functional family is probably a myth. This sense of dysfunctionality affects the children in the family. I'm not talking of children like who are younger in age. We grow up, but we still carry the certain roles that children of dysfunctional families play. Mm. There are four prominent roles. Sometimes we see people who are the typical hero child. They will be the best at everything. The best, great at academics, great in sports, overachievers. It is their way, subconsciously, it is their way of diffusing the dysfunctionality that remains in the family. So now have attention on me, look at me how good I am and that will take away the attention or the problem that is there in the family. The second role we play is that of a rebel. The concept is the same. I want to diffuse the dysfunctionality, so I'm going to break every possible rule. The third child is a lost child who is just silent, who just exists, who is a loner, who will be probably in his or her own world. Again, the same thing. This is again, all these roles come from a lack of self-esteem somewhere because of the dysfunctionality that exists. 
And the fourth one is, is like a clown, a mascot. So I'm going to crack all the jokes and I'm going to make everybody laugh so that we forget about, you know, whatever is existing. So these are the enmeshed roles we keep playing. And that is when we are working with families. It is incredible how each one can resonate with what roles they are playing. Once that understanding is there, you, you start to derail yourself. And that is what the therapy is about. And what can parents do to, uh, this might be a very generic question because I know that, that the issues are going to be extremely specific, but when you have a child as one of those four different examples that you mm -hmm. just mentioned, mm -hmm. is there something that parents can do to improve the dysfunction? I think dysfunction will always exist in one form or the other. What I mostly tell parents is to look inwards. Because we as parents, what we carry, we pass it genetically to our children. The best thing to do is to clear whatever is there, what's heavy inside me, so that my child doesn't react to that and my child doesn't start to think that, oh, this is a big problem and I need to solve it. So usually when, uh, when parents do look inward yes. and let's say that the, the relationship with themselves and with those yes. in the family improves, yes. then the, the role that these children play, then... It's diffused. It diffuses. Then I don't have to be the hero all the time. It is okay for me to sometimes not be the best. It's a huge relief into the system that it's okay not to have this baggage of I need to do something to solve the issue. And it's extremely therapeutic because it's not, it doesn't work for just one person. So when I'm looking at myself as a parent and thinking that, okay, let me think what I can do. Now I'm getting in touch with not only my child who is in front of me, but my inner children, the parts of my psyche at different ages in my life who are stuck or frozen with a particular issue or a particular emotion. And I'm healing that. And you can't fake that healing. When you heal inside, it shows on the outside. And your children are then, as we say, you, you set your children free to live the lives that they should be living rather than trying to do something else. And when they try to do something else, they're breaking the hierarchy again. They're not children. They're trying to be adults. They're trying to be your mom's mom. And that's when the system fails. But when they break the hierarchy, is it always a reflection of dysfunction? They break the hierarchy out of love and affection. They don't break it because they want to break it. It is they subconsciously, we can always sense what is missing. And in order to bring that back, we start to, it's like, you know, don't worry, mom, there's a big problem. I'm going to solve it for you. In reality, we can't. We can only solve what belongs to us. Even if we try, it's not going to work. But this, this role reversal then creates issues that then we struggle with and we say we have this disorder or we are feeling weak or, you know, there's anxiety issue or there's too much of anger. It will come out in one part of the life or with one or two members in the family. And usually when you work with families, you work with them as a whole? Again, depends. Sometimes, yes, I have had, I've worked with families like mom, dad and children. Sometimes, um, well, most of the times they come with the children and then I end up doing more work and coaching for the parents rather than the children. But sometimes there are cases when there's an issue with the child and it will come up in the play therapy and then. So it's a mix of, of all. It's just not the present family. We are, here we are talking of healing across generations. This is transgenerational. So we may not even know generations which are like five, six generations before us. But it is in this process, we know if we are carrying something. 
if you're carrying something on behalf of them that we have brought into this life so that we can solve it. It is incredible. It's, it's incredibly powerful. Are there any other ways for parents or children to become aware of this dysfunction or whatever we, we are calling it right now mm-hmm. without seeking professional help? To understand, you mean to diagnose? Yeah. Uh, the diagnosis will come very easily. Something will happen. Either the child has a separation anxiety or the child doesn't want to go to school. Something will be there in the system to show that something is off. And then getting to the root of it? And then getting to the root of it. It is not that you have to be in, in therapy for that. The first thing I I say is look at what is there inside you. What is it that you are carrying as a parent? Because children are reflecting you. They are your mirrors. It's not that they're creating something. So the first step is to step back and look at what is triggering me. So what triggers me as a mother? Which behavior of my child makes me feel that I am just a pathetic mother? Which means it is now threatening my self-worth. It is easy. It is like peeling an onion. You go layer by layer. So yeah, when my child refuses food, I lose my temper. That's one layer. Now, why do you lose your temper? Because it makes me feel I'm worthless. And what happens when you feel you're worthless? Oh, now I remember when I was at so-and-so age, this happened and this is exactly what I felt. And this is probably what my math teacher said. You know, you can never do this. It's self-healing. It will surface. That's the beauty of working with the subconscious. Okay. I want to move to something completely different, which I know you focus on as well. And that is uh, attracting wealth and abundance. Mm -hmm. I feel this is (laughs) a concept that many listeners are going to be very interested in because it sounds very appealing (laughs) from the outside. But could we we discuss kind of what it is and what does it mean to attract something? Mm. I'm very glad you brought this up because this is something we get asked very often. Uh, we start with the premise of what is wealth. And when I say what is wealth, what does wealth mean to you? Because wealth to me may mean money. To somebody else, it may mean property. To somebody else, may just mean good health. And what does abundance mean? These words are like kind of used so frequently that we don't even look and check what it means for me. When we talk of abundance, abundance is a natural state, the state in which nature is. It is not having more of something. So abundance in money doesn't mean that I will have more money. To the contrary, it means that I am open to receiving and sharing it. It's a stable state. And whatever I am abundant in cannot be taken away from me. So I will never fear that I'm going to lose money. So the first thing when I work with clients who feel this block is there and I can't attract and how will I attract and is to first ground them and understand what are they talking about. Is it money? Is it health? Is it success? Because they can be very, very different things. When we get that understanding first of what I know. now Okay, now I know I'm talking pure money. Money is energy like any other thing like food is energy. We are energy. So what is it that I cannot attract? which means I know where I am and I know where I want to be. It then means that there's something in between that is not allowing me to go there. And now we are entering the zone of the subconscious to understand what is my block to my wealth or my abundance. 
So when we are doing group sessions, this will mean completely different things to different people. And then you take a dive into your subconscious and let this block surface. And they may be very relevant to what you're talking and it, they sometimes surprise people. We would have never thought of this person or I saw this image could have been a block. Could you give us some examples of what those blocks are? The blocks can be anything. For example, one major block we face is belief systems. So there are times when people come and say, you know, um, my relationship with money is okay. Like I can earn money, but it never stays with me. So I earn and I lose. Like, so how do you lose? It's like, I don't know what happens to me. So I lend to people who will never return money to me. I buy properties that never come out. I lose cash. I have lost my credit card. So they'll give you a list of things. And then as you're progressing with the, the work, with the therapy, with the sessions, you realize that... Uh, this person now, I'm giving an, uh, an example, of, comes from a background where business family. And when uh, this person was small, the business split between the uncles and his part of the family. And uh, the lion's share of the business went to the uncles and his dad got a small share. So as he was growing up, and remember, as I mentioned, you're like a sponge between the ages of zero to eight. There was a lot of discussion around him, not meaning anything bad, but generally that money is evil and you ha they must be doing something wrong to earn a lot of money. That is now a part of your belief system. Money is evil. And that will stay embedded in the critical part of your mind. And this child now grows up, fantastic kid, do, does very well, no issues with money whatsoever. Till he graduates, he gets a job and he starts to earn money. Now, the more he earns money, there is a subconscious part of his mind, which is at least 6,000 times stronger than his conscious part, says, hey, money is evil. So conscious part says, great, go earn money, good life. And subconscious says, money is evil. So when 1x versus 6,000x, we know who's going to win. So though he doesn't want it, but he finds subconsciously many ways to lose money. So that is, that I can tell you is like an example of how a belief system, which is embedded very deep, can surface at some time in our life and completely sabotage the goals that we want. And then how would you get past that block? So you get past that block first is understanding. So now there's the wow moment and oh my goodness, this is what I have carried, which is half of your job time. So the role of a therapist is, is like a GPS. You know, it's your car, it's your destination and your therapist can take you with there very quickly and in a very safe way. So we, we take permission from the conscious mind, we dive into the subconscious and find out there will be experiences that are stored there. There will be uh, inferences that have been made and client finds it, not the therapist. It's the client who gets this wisdom, connects those dots now, saying, okay, this is what had happened. This is what I perceived as a child. So this is not to blame my parents that they taught me money is evil. As a child in that family, in that situation, I perceived money is evil. And now that I know that this is not true, I'm ready to let it go. And that is where the magic is. So when I let it go, what is the new belief system that I want? It is equally important because when you let something go, there is vacuum and nature abhors vacuum. So you need to be ready with what you want to put in. So then I want to now have a belief system that money comes to me very easily and I grow money. It stays with me. And so basically getting past these blocks yes. then starts becoming the attracting 
you are now developing a new neuro pathway from your brain so the way you respond to things is now going to change you're creating a new pattern you're breaking the old one and you're replacing that with this new belief system and this is when all the inner work you're yes. doing then attracts these outer it results it attracts okay i love that <laughs> i think no i think that's something that's going to be really valuable to uh to our listeners another question that i have for you how can we go about taking full responsibility for our lives because i feel that we often blame things mm. on external circumstances and we don't really yes. uh, hold ourselves accountable but what i've learned in life is yes. that at the end of the day you always have a choice in mm. everything that you do mm. and at the end of the day you are the only one responsible but how would you communicate that to someone mm. uh, see we technically know this in our mind and we want to believe it mm. nobody wants to believe that i have a pathetic life and i'm responsible for it that is what most clients would say that why why am i going through this the moment somebody saying that you know that the the energy that he or she is carrying is the energy of a victim as you rightly said then it is much easier to blame it on something now how we change this is uh, we take a step backwards just look at we can divide our lives into three parts our past our present and our future if you look at the present there is no problem in the present either we are doing well we are moving on to activity to activity or there's a crisis and we are dealing with it nobody in the present moment has any issues per se so these blame games or these issues or whatever patterns we are stuck in and we are blaming the world for it either comes from the past or it comes from our own perception of the future when i'm talking of the past now what can probably go would have gone wrong in the past there are only three scenarios scenario 1 is i did something wrong which means i go back in time and i remember what i have done and the emotion now that i am letting myself to be consumed with is guilt mm. the second scenario is i didn't do anything wrong somebody else did something wrong to me again the emotion is anger and there's a situation where nothing i have done wrong nobody did anything wrong to me but the situation was such that things happened that's helplessness these are your top 3 blame game issues that start from the past and the same can happen in the future what happens what will happen in the future so now your emotion you're you're bubbling with fear the fear of the unknown the fear that i'm not going to be in control so the first step is to identify where are you stuck are you operating out of guilt are you operating out of anger are you operating out of helplessness or are you now fearful of the future once you can identify these four these are the four major core emotions that we deal with the rest will always fall under one of the categories now we have a reality check that actually i have no control on the future as much as i would like to know and do things and prepare and there's no way on earth we can go back in the past and solve something that's the moment again the wow moment of the awareness that okay so what i have is this present and in this present i have a choice as you said a choice to change it so whatever wrong i did now i have a choice to live my life in guilt or i choose to now look at the learning what did i learn from that experience how do i not repeat it when i look at anger towards somebody i just need to maybe accept that has happened and now forgive 
forgiveness is very tricky yeah true <laughs> because um you know when when we say i forgive you we internally say that i am bigger than you and you're smaller and it's okay i'm going to kind of forgive you that again sets in a different dynamics rather than forgiveness if you ask me i would say accept what has happened mm. accept it i'm not saying what happened is right or wrong but it has happened and it cannot be changed with that acceptance how can you do it if you feel like forgiving but like as equals you do that but forgiveness i always say take it with a pinch of salt because it can give you that feeling of superiority that i'm good enough i'm big enough i'm forgiving you and the next morning you'll wake up feeling super angry again so this forgiveness doesn't work in in that case with helplessness you find motivation so what if the situation was like that what else could i have done what can i motivate and uh, you know find that resource in myself today to do it and with fear this the the medicine is faith faith is what a child is born with when a child is born he or she doesn't know whether he or she will survive whether anybody will take care of him or not but the child comes into this world with the faith that my parents will be there or someone will be there to bring me and that faith is good enough to keep that child alive to survive that is how we flip that is when we say that we are not so influenced by the past or by other people's opinion but it's a step by step process Okay. We're going to move into our final segment. Sure. We have a few minutes left. Sure. Um and the final segment is called asking for a friend. Mm-hmm. This is basically questions that have been sent in by our listeners, by our friends, by our family. Mm-hmm. They're questions that we might be afraid to really ask. Yes. Uh so these are anonymous. The first question and you've touched on it before is um what's one book that you would recommend people reading and why? Well there are many books actually mm. uh, but I think I I would for me it was uh, Many Lives Many Masters by Dr Brian Weiss because it gave a complete different perspective of life and death and transformation um the other very useful book I found for me to understand and I and I refer that to clients most of the time is um The Power of Your Subconscious Mind by Dr Joseph Murphy it's like so simply explained what is the power that lies within us it's like the iceberg we just see the tip of it we are unaware of what we are carrying and how we can explore that okay. so these two would be my top two what's the best advice you've ever received not to give any advice not to give any advice yeah. can you explain that well especially when um, when you're in a profession like therapy uh, it is best to look at it from all angles because if you if we go into the mode of advising what is best for you it will become the best for me so it is okay to uh, empathize not sympathize and that is the same with our friends our family so to stay centered to stay empty and refrain from giving advice that this is maybe what you should do you can open options for for others for friends family clients whoever we are talking about and empower them to take that path rather than saying i believe this is the best for you you basically guide them to find their answers to find the strength within themselves right. because otherwise it's going to be my choice of how they live rather than they finding that anchor in themselves and then moving on not only answering this question but many more questions that that are going to come in life going forward so empowering them rather than advising them okay. last question 
What's your favorite thing about being a therapist? There are many things uh, that are absolutely wonderful being in, in this profession. So I can't give you one. I'll give you a couple of them. A couple. <laughs> so the first thing is this, um, is that it is an extremely creative field. There is nothing that gets repeated. Each client is different. Each person that you work with is different. And it gives, it just expands your horizons inside. But more than that, what is more intriguing is that everyone we work with represents a part of us. So whatever are my internal issues that I see in the people that I work with. And that's a constant reminder of what I need to work. So it goes hand in hand. It is, it's like the world becomes a mirror. And last but not the least, it's a it's such a fulfilling profession to be in. It's got the right balance. As I said, when I started my journey, my intent was balance. It gives me the balance between my inner self and the people I work with, with my family and my work, with my internal and my external self. So there are, there are many things I, I can go on. <laughs> Perfect. So... Thank you so much uh, for being here today. Unfortunately, that's all the time we had. I think we could sit here and, and talk for hours. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. I think we uh, we covered some amazing, amazing topics that are going to add a tremendous amount of value uh, for our listeners. And to our listeners out there, um, you can check out Illuminations in Dubai. Uh, Arpita is there uh, as part of it uh, herself. And we had previous guests that are part of Illuminations as well. So uh, check out their website, check them out on Instagram. Uh, we'll make sure we, we provide all the details that you guys need in case there's anything that you're interested in, in covering yourself um, or finding yourself or whatever else it may be. Um, but thank you so much again. It was, it was a, a beautiful lesson. Thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you very much for having me. Another fascinating episode today with Arpita. We discussed that conditioning, education, economic background, and religious beliefs all shape our identity in the first eight years of our lives. So as children, we have picked up certain belief systems. Today, some of those things might not be serving you. Whatever you want to change in your life will require you to go back to it and rewire it. Arpita's practices help with this. Today, stress comes in many different forms, and it feels like a race that doesn't stop. We have to earn money, support our family, pay our bills, think of the future. But our body and mind will give up after a certain time. It's okay to experience certain stressors, but not consistently. This leads to depression, anxiety, and sleep disorders, to name a few. We have to understand what brings us happiness, and we need to make time for that on a daily basis. Think about the last time you were truly happy and replicate that. We then spoke about family. In families, there's a structure and rules. Everyone has their place in which they belong. There's a hierarchy in family. We are smaller than our parents, who are smaller than our grandparents, etc. If the hierarchy is broken subconsciously, when someone takes over a role of another because they feel this presence is missing, for instance, a son taking over his dad's role, the alignment breaks and issues often happen in families. This function affects the children significantly and they often take the identity of one of the following in order to diffuse the dysfunction in the family and take away the attention of any issues. One is the overachiever, always has to impress and be the best at everything. Number two is the rebel, breaks every rule possible. Number three is the lost child, a loner in their own world, lack of self-esteem. And finally, the clown, 
cracks all the jokes and tries to make everybody laugh. RPTO works with families to help them understand if and when a child is playing these roles and how to then de-role them. As a parent, you can improve the dysfunction by looking inwards, clear whatever is inside of you so your child doesn't see it as a problem to solve. Finally, we spoke about attracting wealth and abundance. Abundance is a natural and stable state. You won't fear that you lose it. Wealth, in this case, is personal. Define what it means to you, money, property, good health, etc. Then ask yourself, what is my block to wealth or my abundance? Take a deep dive into your subconscious to find this block. Blocks can be belief systems that once again were shaped early on in life. Maybe your relationship with money is bad because your parents struggled or saw money as evil, and now you do too. It stays embedded without knowing it. In order to create abundance, you need to unblock these belief systems. And once again, Arpita's practices help with this. So reach out to her or our other friends at Illuminations. Check out our Instagram page, Forever Student Show, to learn more. Thank you so much for listening to this week's Forever Student episode. This show is for you, me, and all of us to learn and grow from. If you enjoyed this, please rate the podcast, comment and share with anyone that you believe would benefit from listening to this. I'd love to hear from you, so feel free to reach out to me at Forever Student Show across all social media platforms. Or you can drop us an email at foreverstudent at dukanmedia.com. My name is Stefan Miller, and this podcast is brought to you by Dukan Media. Thank you all, and have a great week. 